first encounter I had with a North Korean brother and he said, uh, we pray for you because you, you put your faith in your money and your freedom. I, you know, I humbly then had to ask him, I said, well, please correct me that how, how should I pray? And he said, well, pray that God finds us each faithful where he places us. Across the world today, millions of Christians are persecuted. They face oppression, imprisonment, displacement, and even death simply because of their faith in Jesus Christ. These courageous believers are our brothers and sisters. We are in this together with them, and we need to hear their voice. Join host James as we discover their stories today on Release International's Voice podcast. North Korea is a country that fascinates many of us, not least because it seems so secretive. What is life like there? What's it like being a Christian in North Korea? In this edition of Release International's Voice podcast, we continue our conversation with Pastor Eric Foley, head of our sister ministry, Voice of the Martyrs Korea. Last month, Eric spoke about his ministry and how it was transformed by listening to and understanding North Korean Christians. Okay, let's maybe talk a little bit more about the situation on the ground mm. in North Korea. Um, it's always intriguing for people, I think, in the West, people in the UK, to to hear little bits yeah. of information about North Korea. From time to time, we'll have a, a news article that might you know show a particular perspective on that. Uh, and there is so much secrecy and isolation in the country. Maybe that sometimes leads us to a wrong opinion of mm-hmm. what life is actually like there. Can you tell us from your own experience of meeting North Korean defectors and, and other North Korean citizens, you know, what is life like on the ground for a typical North Korean person? I think, you know, there's a, there's a sense people, um, I think the popular knowledge, which is true, is that North Korea is just bad. It's a bad place to be, right? I mean, that that that's... That, that's true as far as it goes. But I think what's misunderstood is, is that people then assume that first, if you hear something bad about North Korea, it must be true. And that the second is, it's a steady state of bad and it never changes. I think both of those things are problematic. The first one, you know, that the idea that if you hear something bad, it's true. Here's the problem with that is, is that if what we do is simply assume that everything that we hear about North Korea that's bad is true, then it misleads us into really understanding the true situation and then how to make a difference in that. So, you know, many of the government groups, we don't, we don't provide information to government or things like that. But in their reports, which often are picked up by the media and then used, uh, and that, that shaped popular opinion. You know, for example, um, the U.S. State Department's Religious Freedom Report just came out and they were saying, oh, there was a toddler and uh, parents uh, were doing religious behavior and they ended up in a, in prison and, and the, you know, the toddler was sentenced to life in prison. But, what and most media reported that, but didn't note that the story happened in 2009. And so that toddler is not a toddler anymore. They're 14 years older. Now that's not to say it's not important because, you know, our thought would be even with that, 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 that toddler is not a toddler anymore. His, his life story is inestimably precious to God. But it is to say that these reports just kind of perpetuate that idea that everything is bad, it's always been bad, always will be bad unless the government intervenes and does something. And so, uh, but what we would say is, look, even in that report, 
they know the, that um, there's a Christian population in North Korea. They, they cite a bunch of statistics. We would say that I think comfortably speaking, uh, most groups, Christian and non-Christian, would put the number around 100,000, of whom about a third are in concentration camps. Yes, it's absolutely true that they can't meet together, can't pray, can't own a Bible. But the question we should ask is, well, what are they doing all day other than getting beaten, getting beaten and being put in prison? And so, so, so the, the thing that's important then is to understand what is faith like in North Korea? How are they living it? Why are they still taking the risk? And so there, I think we need to, to note things like the report from the independent uh, secular organization called North Korean Human Rights Database, which showed that in 2000, when we began our ministry, that effectively 0% of North Koreans had ever seen a Bible with their own eyes. And then in the most recent longitudinal update, which happened in, it came out in December 2020, uh, showed that all now about 8% of North Koreans had seen a Bible with their own eyes. That's close to 2 million people. So that's a massive change. That means that there is a massive transformation in, in people hearing the message of Jesus Christ. That's never noted in government reports or other documentaries. You know, people just, ah, oh, it's bad. It's really bad. And you say, but somehow the word of God is getting in, it's getting read, and, um, and, and it's continuing to have uh, an impact on people's lives. So um, you asked what's life like for an ordinary North Korean person. There's 53 different social classes in North Korea, and every one of them has a very different ordinary life. If you're living in the top social classes, you'll enjoy many of the same privileges that people do in, in other countries and, and live pretty good. If you're in the Christian social class, you won't be enjoying any life because, of course, even to, to be suspected of association with a Christian missionary would be grounds for execution. So all of those things are true. But the thing that we want to emphasize is, is that the, the ordinary experience of North Korean people is changing. There was a famine in the 1990s that we referenced. But after that point, North Koreans, the ordinary North Koreans said, man, we got to stop relying on the government. We need to do what we can to engage in gray market uh, trade. And, and so that changed everything in North Korea. So you sometimes hear groups say, oh, uh, Christians don't get uh, food distribution from the government. And what we say is, yeah, most, most groups don't. The food distribution system in North Korea broke down in 2005. So except for a very small elite group of people in Pyongyang, there's, there's not a widespread food distribution system. There are various collectives, there's very, various individual methods of, 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 you know, by which people attempt to, to support themselves, grow crops, um, have access to various items. And so uh, that's the ordinary life of an everyday North Korean person. It's not a life of absolute dependence on the government from which Christians are excluded. It's a life where most people post-famine, um, that the, the government acts in their life almost how you would think of a mafia acting in their life, right? Nobody would look to the mafia to provide much of anything. But the mafia is an omnipresent force in the lives of areas that, that have you know, well, well organized mafias. And so you, you always have to deal with it, but you certainly wouldn't look to the mafia for your health care and your daily bread. So I think most North Korean people live lives that are highly entrepreneurial. They're incredibly um, resilient people. Um, they, you know, people say, yes, but aren't they indoctrinated into the uh, Kim Il-sung ideology and the answer is sure of course i mean you know what else is there I mean, even for a nuclear physicist one third of their phd education would be in 
the the greatness of Kim Il Sung. So even you're going to be a brain surgeon, you're going to study that. But that being the case, what I'm saying is, is that the idea that North Koreans are simply beholden to their government for everything is a very outdated idea. So the government has found different ways of relating to its people. Now, some of the recent things that have happened with COVID, where now an additional border wall has been built and the ability of independent uh, trade tra traders, not traitors, but traders, has been severely restricted, does push the North Korean government back into a much more active day-to-day -day role in the life of ordinary North Korean people. But again, it's still very different than the centralized distribution systems of you know, 1960, 1970. So I would say that, that North Koreans are still finding ways, as, as they always have every year to navigate through these things. You know, the um, things are constantly changing for North Korean people. And um, instead of simply believing every bad report we hear, we really need to ask what's really happening? Because some things that, um, uh, that we hear mislead us, not because North Korea is better than we think, but because it's just different than we think. And so the idea that North Korean uh, people are simply puppets or pawns and that it's governments that really determine what happens is, I think, the most mistaken idea. I think ordinary North Koreans who depended upon the government are dead because of the famine and that North Koreans who remain are much more uh, the ones who are adept at, at knowing how to do whatever it takes to be able to survive. And so the idea that government, why that's important is that, is that it helps us understand that governments are not the, the solution, that we, we don't need to just simply stand on the sideline and wait for governments to fix this problem. Um, anticipating your next question about or, the life of ordinary North Korean people, because I think that's, again, another good example. They Likewise, North Korean Christians are not crying out to Christians in the rest of the world saying, please, you know, pray for us that our country would fall apart and our leader would die and, you know, that we can live robust Christian lives like you are, because for now we're just hunkering down under a rock. That's just not correct. Yeah. Thanks. That's, yeah, that's helpful, you know, not to allow our understanding of North Korea to be determined by these one-off sensational mm -hmm. images or pictures that we might see, but to actually understand them as people like us mm -hmm. and a complex and changing picture. North Korea is clearly a difficult place to live, and particularly difficult for Christians. But our guest on this podcast, Pastor Eric Foley of Voice of the Martyrs Korea, has reminded us that things are not always as they appear to the outside world. Continue listening as Eric suggests how we are to view and pray for our North Korean brothers and sisters in Christ. Let, let me come on to ask you then about how we as Western Christians should think about our brothers and sisters mm -hmm. in North Korea and how we should respond to their situation. So we might be tempted to have pity on them. Mm -hmm. We may, you know, have a strong desire to pray for their political liberation. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think, from your long experience in this field, from your sort of biblical and theological reflection on it, what is the correct way for us to think and pray for Christians in North Korea? Well, some history is helpful. You know, before there was Kim Il-sung, there was the Japanese occupation of Korea. Before the Japanese occupation, in the late Joseon dynasty, there was complete restriction um, of contact. Nobody could have contact with foreigners. 
So uh, what North Korean people have learned, I think, is um, that they don't rely upon the government to create a safe platform for them to exercise their faith. That, you know, we were in Parliament, of course, for the Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast this past week, and that was the message you were called and I brought to the MPs, was just to say, we, we have this sense, unfortunately, in my opinion, that, um, that governments must make the world safe for Christian practice. I, and I, I, I don't think that that will bear biblical weight. I think that the Word of God is not reliant upon anything else in order to establish it or keep it safe. The Word of God always accomplishes what it has for, the, the, the purpose that God sets for it. And so I think, uh, again, I, if, we, if we start with the idea that, that today inside North Korea in the past 20 years, now we're approaching 2 million people have seen a Bible with their own eyes, then we know that more people are reading the Bible today than at any other point in history inside that northern part of the Korean Peninsula. So the idea that says that in order for Christianity to come in North Korea, there must be political change is, in my view, patently, provably false. And so I get that a lot when I travel. You know, we've spoken in more than 40 countries around the world and people tell me, they say, oh, I'm praying for the gospel to get into North Korea. And I always say, really, I'm praying for it to come back out because the North Korean church is doing pretty well, but it's the church in our country that I worry about. And I don't, I don't even say that facetiously. You know, I, as I say, North Koreans understand the value of the word of God. They are willing to lay down their lives because it, it, it says something to them about the value of human life. You know, when people wonder what it is about the Word of God that's so transformative, I think, unfortunately, we've domesticated our understanding of it so much that we think of uh, Christian faith as, as personal, like about a belief system. But when North Koreans read the Bible, always for them, the, the most transformative passage isn't John 3.16, it's Genesis 1. You know, typically when we're working with North Koreans, we start in the book of Genesis, not in the Gospels, because... The idea that God created the heavens and the earth, God formed human beings, and thus people's lives have value independent of the government's estimation of that value. That is, tell me what human rights organization has a more powerful argument than that, right? In other words, what what political party or what um, you know advocacy group can change people's understanding of their own value more than the Bible? I, I haven't seen it. So when North Koreans read the book of Genesis and they find that there, there is an inalienable worth, that's not guaranteed by a UN charter. It's, it's guaranteed because we were created in the image of God. That creates an entirely different personal value calculus. So I think that um, today the vast mistake that foreigners make is, first of all, to, to pity North Korean Christians because uh, they lack the good governmental systems that we do. You know, we've been spending the last few days with our friend Bob Fu, whose work is in China, not North Korea, but he tells a very similar story. When he le when he escaped from China and he came to the West, he had a teacher said to him, look, Bob, it's really great, you know, that you were able to uh, stand up against communist authorities there, but you'll find that being a Christian in a market economy, <laughs> democratic society is actually pretty hard too, because the most basic form of activity that the enemy takes against the gospel is to close the ears of people to it. And that's what happens all the time here in the UK, in the US, in South Korea. And so um, there are challenges living for the Lord, no matter what the country. 
So if what we do is we prioritize the challenges that can destroy the body, then Jesus Christ himself rebukes us and says, wow, if I were you, I'd, I'd focus not on the problems of people who could destroy the body, but people, the, the one who can throw the body and soul into hell. So I think we need to go back to the Bible, check our understanding of who should pity who, because what we find is, is that North Koreans have, the North Korean Christians have a relationship with God of complete dependence on him that I've never found a Western Christian who couldn't learn from that. Um, I don't, in 20 plus years, I don't find that North Korean Christians tell, tell me, please tell the Christians of the rest of the world, pray that our government is overthrown. I think it's like, they would say, yeah, well, there was Kim Il-sung, and then before Kim Il-sung, there was a Japanese, <laughs> before the Japanese, there was the Chosun Dynasty king, and none of them liked the gospel. And when they read in the scriptures about um, that, that we should expect that from the authorities, I don't, I think that they're wiser than the rest of us not to look for political salvation. That doesn't minimize what a blessing it is to live under good government. I think the Apostle Paul would probably say something like, hey, you know, gov- good government and then my financial resources are great when you get them. But when they're, when they're removed, it, it doesn't stop the work of God. And so what the only thing that ends is our imagination. And what we need to do is to learn from North Korean underground Christians. So um, that's why, you know, when that first encounter I had with a North Korean brother and he said, you know, uh, we pray for you because you, you put your faith in your money and your freedom. I, I, you know, I humbly then had to ask him, I said, well, please correct me that how, how should I pray? And he said, well, pray that God finds us each faithful where he places us. And so that's that's what I've done now for more than 20 years is that, um, I've realized that even though we tend to um, just having a, a difficult time with physical discomfort, uh, I think we are undersensitized to the ability that with what ease we lose our souls in our, um, you know, uh, freedom of religion, uh, freedom of rights, et cetera, et cetera, and so forth societies that we, we just are not aware of how much We've compromised our soul in these processes. So I do think that praying for North Korean Christians is a great exercise. I do think that knowing that they pray for us is the right position to be in because it helps us understand that um, both of us are in positions where God has given us what is necessary to be faithful and where we're in positions that challenge that daily unless we rely on him fully. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it reminds me of a conversation I had recently on a, a trip to Central Asia with a, a pastor there and he was reflecting on his experience of having been in a very oppressive situation mm-hmm. for a long number of years but more recently having a degree of openness and freedom and reflecting on the challenges mm-hmm. that came mm-hmm. from that new experience rather than necessarily the challenges and the experience he was more used to and he said something very similar at the end of that conversation he said that what we need uh, or, or what we want you to pray for us is that we will be faithful in the moment in which we are yes. in. So we're not praying for persecution to return, but we want to be faithful in the moment we're in. And I think that that is a prayer, that's a, a concept mm. that is relevant for every Christian, no matter where you are. And it goes back to what you said about Richard Vernbrand's yeah. first plea 
is that we are faithful where we are and then we turn to pray for others. That's so, right. Uh, that's a really great challenge for us and something that's really worth all our listeners, I think, mm. reflecting on in which ways are we potentially blinded to the compromises we've made and how can we be more faithful in our Yeah, context? I mean, it's, it's you know, some sometimes um, people will say uh, something like, oh, well, if you think North Korea is so great, why don't you live there? And I say, no, no, it's not that. It's not about, or it's not even saying that North Korea is not as bad as people say. It's saying that it's important for us to have accurate information and to remember you know, I, I wrote a book called These Are the Generations, telling the story of third generation underground North Korean Christians, how they worship, how they pray. And the woman, uh, the, the mother in that story, um, when uh, uh, she, she heard that Christians around the world were praying for her, what she said is, she said, well, don't they understand that Romans 8.28 works just as well inside North Korea as outside? And so all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So what she was saying is we have all the promises of God that you do. And so we have to be very careful when we make statements like, uh, oh, but our life is so much better than theirs. That's that's not a statement in praise of UK democracy. That's a statement where we really have to ask, how do we understand the Lord God and his provision? So good government is an important provision, but even in the in the worst situations, God still provides for us in amazing ways. And so rather than talking about how much better than we have it, we have it than they do, I would say, let's be, let's open our minds and hearts to understand that God is just as faithful to North Korean underground Christians as he is to us. Yeah, yeah. One final question for you quickly then. How can we pray for you, for Dr. Mm -hmm. Foley, and for the team at Voice of the Martyrs Korea? Well, we're always honored because of the partnership we have with Release. It's a long partnership, a deep partnership. And it's great to be back in the UK and doing some speaking events, including the Parliamentary Prayer Breakfast. I think the, um, the, um, this, this time in history related to North Korean ministry is so important because um, the Kim Jong-un regime has effectively created now a completely different setting of ministry than Kim Jong-il and then Kim Il-sung before him. So we always have to be constantly uh, looking uh, with, with God's eyes at what's happening. For example, the, the, the virtual closure of the border between North Korea and China challenges every group that does this kind of work because you know for the last 20 years, the focus has been on ministry that was based in China. So fortunately for us, you know, uh, long ago, we started working with North Koreans wherever they were found, you know, in all these places around the world. But just pray that the Lord continues to, to give us that, that same heart uh, that, that he gave us when we started about just listening and learning from ordinary North Korean people. And just pray that the Lord, you know, we feel like we're constantly blessed by the Lord to meet amazing North Korean people. And I just... Would, would ask everyone to pray that that continues. We never take it for granted. I think the other thing that I think is, is helpful to pray is, um, I think um, the, um, the North Korean defectors who live in South Korea are to, in my estimation, such a crucial group of people because they're, they're like a hinge connecting Christians inside of North Korea with Christians in the rest of the world. And yet it's very easy for them to get caught up in the, the wealth and the 
resources of the South Korean church, the global church to say, ah, yeah, so I get it. The solution is, you know, for us to uh, save up for church buildings for when North Korea opens. It's, you know, um, we, we should uh, pray for political change. And so they, they, they become very South Korean in their orientation. Inside of North Korea, Christians are still saying, hey, today is the day for North Korean ministry. And statistics would say that it is. I say that let's really pray for those North Korean defectors, for them, instead of to be changed by Western Christians and South Korean Christians to think according to those ways, to really value the amazing heritage that they have received from their forebears uh, and to continue to put that into practice. So both my prayers for ourselves and North Korean defectors revolve around the importance of ordinary, average North Korean Christians. And that's where my prayers always are, you know, it's just that um, it, it takes a lot of Christians to make a church of 100,000 in North Koreans, not the same ones every month, because you know, people are dying out in prisons and so forth. And God is continuing to refresh that North Korean church population. But it's the leaders, of course, who are always being killed, right? And so you're, you're replacing leaders with brand new people. So they need to be constantly trained up. And if what's happening is, is that the rest of the world looks and says, oh, well, just wait for political change, you know, just do it the South Korean, American, European way, then they're paralyzed. So really helping them to carry on the heritage that they've received, that's the focus of my own prayers. Pastor Foley, thank you so much for talking to us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, James. Pray that we would be faithful where we are. That's a prayer for every Christian to pray, wherever we are and whatever our circumstances may be. It's also a prayer we can pray for Christians living in the harsh, closed environment of North Korea. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of The Voice Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to Pastor Eric Foley and you haven't heard the first half of this conversation, you can find that on our website at releaseinternational.org forward slash podcast under the title Christ is Sufficient. Please do subscribe through your favourite podcast app so you can stay connected to the voice of persecuted Christians. We'd love to hear your feedback too, so please do share your comments with us. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube. And if you don't already receive our free quarterly magazine or prayer alert emails, then you can subscribe on our website at releaseinternational.org forward slash podcast. Remember those who are in prison as if you were in there together with them and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Do not abandon them 